hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Flail Forward, the podcast about RPG design and amateurism, but mostly amateurism. I mean, the listeners didn't hear all the stuff that we just went through to start this episode, but you know. Um, anyway, this week we are talking about what we can't design, things that we as the designers can't anticipate, can't make rules for, and can't really do anything about. <laughs> Now, the reason I think that this is important is that we should have an understanding of these things that we generally cannot design for, because then we know, okay, these are the things that we have to design around and uh, allow for there to be this wiggle room and this space within our design um, that we you know, can acknowledge, um, because there are things that we cannot, as designers, anticipate or know or put rules to. And I think everyone's in agreement with me on that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'll wait for the discussion to progress before I agree fully to anything. Everyone objection? <laughs> I have nothing. <laughs> Finally, Catrice doesn't have something she objects to. Oh my gosh. <laughs> don't worry. Just keep talking. I'll, I'll figure something out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Actually, introduce us first. Oh, that's right. Um, so with me this God, um, with me this evening, um, I am Fred. I am your ostensible host, uh, who is bad at his job. Uh, I have with me tonight Karas Dawar. Thank you. I have Catrice. Objection. Oh, we're not what? doing that yet. Sorry. Do you existed? Sustained. Overruled. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have Jonathan. Hello. <laughs> and Cavoir. Hi. <laughs> and Mr. Rob. Mr. Rob is president accounted for. All righty. So, so before we get it too deep into this topic, I'm sorry to cut you off, Fred. I just want to mention that Jonathan has a Kickstarter right now for cut for producing a full-size book version of Touch the Chase. You should probably support oh, shit, that. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, if you have any you want to play good. Yeah, it's actually yeah. good. It's um, there's, uh, if you're interested in hearing how it plays, check out a Party of One podcast, uh, episode 61 and 70. And um, hey, when when is this going to be out, Fred? Uh, this will be out on Monday. The, okay. Um, 18th. And, and check out uh, Adam Coble's YouTube channel for um, an actual play uh, that he did with Blue Jay. Ooh, cool. Yep. And uh, again, Jonathan is running the Kickstarter. So if you're interested in um, putting money into that, there will be a link in the show notes. Uh, so you can go check that out. Uh, also, this game has already been published. It's in um, what's the name of the anthology called, Jonathan? Um, you and I role playing games for two. Yes. So if you're if um, the cut to the chase. If you're already interested in that or you're interested in two-player games, you can go look at that, and then you can go buy that game and then come back and support Jonathan's Kickstarter uh, and get two versions of the same game, one, one of which is better. But you also get a bunch of other games when you buy the anthology. So anyway, um, that's yeah. all for the shilling. That was a terrible <laughs> advertisement for that. <laughs> <laughs> you're a terrible yeah. advertisement. Yeah. Go buy it twice, but one's better. And... Yeah. 
So I, I just get back up. One isn't better. They're essentially the same. I may. There's just more. Uh, do There's just more art yeah. stuff. Yeah. Sorry. I might do minor editing. The Kickstarter is to pay for art editing. And also there's 15 uh, scenarios written by various designers who are all really good designers and including will enjoy the scenarios. Including Cat McLeod? Including mm-hmm. Catrice, uh, our, who wrote a scenario about Captain... Oh, I can't remember their name. Oh, I can't uh, remember. It was like anyway. really, really bad, cheesy, like... 60 sci-fi not like, bad. Really bad it was really cheesy that but no, no that's the point like it is <laughs> it's it was meant to be that so bad it's good it's like every trope i could think of i jumped all them all in the yeah. same time like it has to have like certain things captain morgan moonbase madness <laughs> yes that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's thanks Kevin. but i i looked through like a couple of the other ones that were on it they were they were good so yeah i think that like we're not just saying that it's good because we know jonathan and he's on the show and we're trying to show this stuff it's good because it's actually good no yeah it's a legitimately good game yeah agree like if he put garbage out i wouldn't probably need to show it fully i'd be really hesitant to say it's good but it's actually good (laughs) so yeah yeah, so the takeaway for the listener here is it's good it's actually yeah. good. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I had never played like, I didn't really like the idea of short form RPGs and, and stuff like that. But it's like, I mean, and just, I have to say, this was my introduction to it, playing it, like not just reading one, but like, I, I, I enjoyed the experience thoroughly, you know, like, and when we were done, like, we immediately wanted to try to like do it again, but like a different scenario. So, yeah, legitimately good. Sorry, I started chilling power hour. I just know that we would forget to do it at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. Well, my God, Kickstarter, I'm going to shill that shit too. So, you know, <laughs> one thing is absolutely well. just lay a track. <laughs> one thing as well, quickly. Um, since we're doing this recorded, it'll go out probably later in the week. And this is kind of a timed Kickstarter. How long is the Kickstarter going on to? Like, until um, April 5th. So you should have. In the neighborhood yes. of two and a half weeks once this episode is released. But April 5th, 2019, for those of you who are really checking our back catalog two years from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So when this comes out, which should be on the 18th, yeah, you should have about yeah two and a half weeks uh, to go and back that Kickstarter. Um, get, you know, get that, get that great game. Right now. Well, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yes, you should be doing it right now while we are talking, while we mm-hmm. are recording. Don't wait. <laughs> Hit pause. Yeah, don't even wait for this episode to be published or for you to hear about it. You should be like going back in time and doing it. <laughs> yeah. Preferably, you would be like listening. You would be like the NSA listening into this conversation, going to purchase <laughs> or going to back the Kickstarter and then coming back and continuing to listen into our conversation, which I don't know uh, why you're doing that. Um, if you loved us, you would try. <laughs> <laughs> Because this is the logical thing to do after you've visited Stephen Hawking's time traveler's party. Yeah. Anyway, back to things we can't design for. Yeah. Um, back to things time travel. Wait. Um, they've they've done that, that, sort of. There have been a few games dealing with time travel, but in general, I, uh, 
I was being facetious, but sure. <laughs> in general, doing time travel mechanics are hard unless unless it's something you're majorly focusing on. Although a lot of people, when the, you do a time travel plot, the, it's you can only do time travel plots for people who don't think about how time travel works because as soon as they start, it causes a mess. Anyway, <laughs> yes, you are correct. Um, okay, yeah, to, for things you can't design for. There so are two things, things. Yes. Oh. Go for it, Rob. I'm going to, I'm just going to lead him with um, a couple of things I had written down. So, and then I, I actually, okay. So two things that, that you, I think we may all agree we can't design for, or perhaps shouldn't design for, might be a, a better way of putting it, is uh, bad GMs and asshole players. <laughs> and what I mean by that specifically is trying to, Trying to design your game around people who haven't bought into it and won't. Because that's usually wh- when I encounter one, one of those, either, either the bad GM or the asshole player, at bottom, what it feels to me like most of the time is that they are not, they're not on board with the premise of the game. And there's no way to get people on board with the premise of the game that they just don't care about. Like, if they're not interested in, a game in which uh, the primary focus is going to be like filtering through 200 guns to get a specific one. Like there's no way they're, you're going to get them on board with that concept. Objection. Uh-uh. Okay. Yeah, I am totally objecting. I think that it's actually reasonable to design for that. Even if it's just in the sense of here's rule like not rule zero, but um, session zero, figure out what people actually want to get out of the game. If this is the right game for them, if you find out that nobody or at least one person doesn't want to play the game, it's good to actually know that in advance. And some people may not know to have like a pregame session to actually figure this out before it even happens. So there is actually a design part that you can put in to get these yeah. people weeded out before it's a problem. So well, I think you can design for it, sort of. That is what I was talking about. Maybe, maybe designing for that would be like making the package of your game indicative of the contents. Something like that, where they can look at it and go like, yeah, it's not my thing. Yes, I'll agree with you that there's, there's a way to do it like such that like everybody's shown up and then you, you know, people sit down and go like, I'm not really interested in this. Like once you get to a certain point, um, but I don't think you should be designing for the people that you like. It, it's the idea of include and try to please everybody. Design for your audience. Yeah, yeah. Design for your audience. You don't yeah, don't yeah. design to please people that that are going to have low buy-in in the first place. I'm yeah, okay. Design so for fun. your audience. Know who that is, and don't try to cater out that much outside of that. Like that's that's even a design decision. How blurry you make the edge of your audience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. um, uh i feel like this should be said um even though it's a little off topic it, it i i just said design for your audience but i i don't sort of preclude you know designing without an audience or just designing for what you want um in that case you are your audience um but mm-hmm. be clear to yourself still uh, what that is for yeah, yeah. like if you want to appeal to a broader audience or a specific audience, then at least try to figure out who they are. Don't be like, 
Well, I want... I see this is a group that I can get to play this because they're not currently playing this. And it's like, do they even want to play this? Because if they don't, trying to cater to them and they're not going to be interested no matter what you do, all you're going to do is lose like the people that already are interested. That's not necessarily a good idea to go down that route. Yeah. Or you're going to make them... Or you're going to draw the semi-interested in and then not satisfy their interest and they'll, right. they'll lose them anyway. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean specifically, like, if there are certain audiences you basically should not be designing for just because you can't make them happy. They don't want to play, like, a role-playing game, period. And nothing you can say or do will make them interested in it. There's no point trying to cater to them. You can't be like, well, there's like millions of them. It's like, yes, there's millions of them. They do not like role-playing games. They're, there's nothing about a role-playing game they like. You can't... Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I want to come up with an example, but the one that came to the top of my head, like the NASCAR RPG, it's like, I'm sure there's a market for it anyway, so I can't even use that. <laughs> 100% there's a market for a NASCAR RPG. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's oh why I was like, God. I can't even use this. <laughs> if, yeah, if there's a market for a WWF RPG, there's definitely a market for a NASCAR RPG. Mm, yeah. I don't okay. know, like, WWF, or, well, WWE that, now. Yes, but that yeah. exists, though. Yeah, that, that actually counts as, like, basically role-playing already, though. Well, like, yeah, it's a soap opera, but it's uh, it's... What I'm saying is, like, there's an audience for it. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm not in terms of genre, but like, yeah, there's an audience for that thing that those people are getting into role playing games, and their portal to that is 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 uh, professional wrestling. You know, well, so yeah. it's not. But it's, my like, point is just that professional wrestling is a form of role playing, so it only makes sense to role play role playing. Though it gets kind of meta levely ish. Well, uh, okay. The, the greater point though is that the market of wwe and or nascar has a very very tiny overlap with the market for like doctor who yes maybe probably (laughs) hopefully Um, everybody i know who's really into wwe is mostly also into w or into doctor who (laughs) i i don't know why um, but like, yeah, the world's weird. Oh, so weird. <laughs> um, I mean, Doctor but, oh, but okay, anyway. let's not get off at Doctor let's Who. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So the, the other thing I wanted to bring up that, that I think we can't, and this, this is, this is a bit of the asshole players thing. So instead of by griefing is the thing that I don't think we can design out of a game experience like if one player just shows up to make another player miserable i i'm not sure that there's any adequate thing that we can do as designers to prevent that um oh i have something to say about that go ahead Um, i just was listening to another podcast today um no i can't remember which one it is anyway i'll leave it to listener listener to figure it out for us huh uh someone mentioned that um i think it's called for the queen which is um alex roberts new game 
Um, she has the X card incorporated into the game, and um, it is stated specifically to use it to um, control tone, to use it to basically not just as a safety thing, but as um, basically when play gets out of line or out of hand, X card. Uh, like off, off script, basically. Hmm. That's interesting. That yeah. And I'm not, yeah. That's I was listening to that... someone else say this. I'm sure that the rules are written much better, but it's it's actually always been stated that the X card should be used for things like tone, like when you start making jokes in a horror or something like that, right? Like that's an that's an X card. The X card should be used for that. Because you're you're sort of screwing up the thing that we agreed to play. But that's one of the main ah. parts of horror. Yeah, contrast. This is the thing. Like, do you mm. like horror, horror movies are better when there's a, a ray of sunshine or a little bit of comedy. Like the the, the horror is much more horrific. Like contrast. Like I don't. Well, hmm. I think. Well, I think there's a few things in there. I think. Yeah. Okay. Deciding to let one joke go is one thing, but when the jokes keep coming and coming and coming, it is another. Um, also, horror movies aren't horror games. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, but I think I think hmm. in general it is using the X card or things like it to keep the gameplay on track is kind of a novel interpretation of what the X card was envisioned as. No, it's not. It's the base interpretation, <laughs> which Jonathan just said. It wasn't that was intent, originally intended to be part of what it was for. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm, yes. Really? Yeah. I, I yeah. I don't tend people. to use it in that way, but yes, that is included in the X card document of like this can be used and probably should be used to control tone. Uh, but most people only extent? use it but, but most people only use it to control content. That is true. Yeah. That so, is yeah. content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. most of the times I've heard about it or like heard a reference is it's to like say if the game goes to this place, you know, tap the X card and we'll stop. No questions asked. It, yeah. Yeah, I've never heard a formulation, but I'm I mean, I'm not in that particular uh, groove of of indie design. But like I, I haven't read a formulation where it was, and I've read the original, so I guess that I just glossed over that completely. I, I don't remember that at all. Um, mm-hmm. Since we're basically focusing upon like things we can't design for and we can't design around, then in particular about this kind of a situation, you have like even if you're using something like an X card, if you have somebody that's looking for a fight, they can use that in their advantage as well. Like if you get somebody like you have two of your players and they were dating and they just broke up. This is not going to be a good night for anybody. <laughs> so yeah. there are some things you can't really design around about. The best thing you can do in that situation is put it somewhere in like the GM section that if there's something that's going to be really messing people up, you might want to postpone the session until like the next week or month or whenever you play. Because all the tools that you can possibly provide to try to make things better 
when people are in certain moods, they will be used as weapons, and there's not really a lot you can do to prevent that, unfortunately. So can we... I'm curious if we should back up and look at this discussion and exclude outlying bad table setup from it? Or are we... That's kind of where I was going to go, is like, games can't really and shouldn't even attempt to address interpersonal player dynamics that are fully external to the game. Like that's, uh, yeah. not the game's, that's not the game's job. It's not the game's job, but I think that there is something to be said just for a brief mention of it. Like, obviously the game cannot be a psychologist or a therapist or whatever. It can't act as that role. But you can put down like some baseline things that here are some things to look for if your players are about to come to blows and you think you might need to call the police soon, maybe now's a good time to put that down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that happened at a game my wife was at, so I, that, that's not, you know, that's not hyperbole. Like, people do, there are fistfights. Yeah, so I'm right. that you don't need uh, the game to tell you that, but I'm not sure if that, that's actually Yeah, the and that's kind of where I'm at. Like, maybe it's not, or at least it wasn't what I was thinking of when... Um. The, the idea of not being able to design for that. Yeah, I I, I think that that deserves a, a passing mention of we can't design for uh, shitty table culture or, you know, prob, you know emotional, uh, psychological, whatever problems that are extrinsic to the game. Um, so, and, but other than that, I, I don't know where that discussion can go other than, yeah, we can't really design for that. Sorry, you as a person, are going to have to deal with that. Not entirely. I think there, there are some things that we can design for within that scope. Like, you know, shitty table manners, as you put it. Like, there are definitely things that you can put into Player's Guide or GM's Guide or whatever you want to, who you want to speak to about this, that there are certain things that are just generally polite and accepted in, you know, role-playing culture that somebody who's new to the culture may not actually know these things. Like, you know, just don't hog the spotlight all the time and over talk over top of people that are already uh, trying to pose and do a scene or whatever. Like that's something that you can put in and just explain that. Well, terms I, exist for a reason. I, I think that's a different example than the couple that just broke up. Um, Oh, it's totally. And also, we I think we can design for what you just explained. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I I was just trying to attempt to jump past this. Mm-hmm. Okay. I yeah, think, yeah. I mean, those are the first things that came to mind when I was thinking about it. Is like, there's the 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 people that are just that show up to to make it a bad time for others. One that one, and then the other one is the is the no buy-in. And I think we just had to get those out of the way before we. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. I guess I should say that, and we we often do is that, um, no buy-in doesn't mean that they're not role players. That they just might not have buy-in because the group doesn't agree. So, it is a legitimate like thing that could come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for the next thing, then I'd say the next major thing that we cannot design for is information that the designer is not physically capable of knowing. Like, 
if like the designer cannot know the individuals that are going to be at the table unless they're only ever going to use their uh, game for a single set of friends and they are always GMing, for example. Yes, hi. Yeah. Kamar could totally do it, but for like (laughs) most of us, like if we're trying to actually sell this to, you know, hopefully thousands of people and actually, you know, make money off it, you're not going to be sitting at every single table. You will not know what every single group is going to be like. You can't possibly know that information. You can make some generalized guesses but specific details don't don't work with specific details because you can't know them yeah at some point you have to assume some norms about the players and just leave it at that yeah you can generally assume that all your players are human except for like the one person who brought their cat and gave them a character sheet. He keeps winning all the roles. <laughs> I don't think you can design for cats either. I just put I that mean, out there. No, but do we want to? I, I, think we a... already, I think we already said we can design for cats because we said we can't design for the asshole who doesn't, who hasn't, <laughs> <laughs> who just wants everyone else like this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Mary. Cat um, just knocked your your uh, miniature over. They're dead. <laughs> Reroll. <laughs> okay. If you were ever playing a game where that is part of the rules, then you, then I don't understand. <laughs> sort of an extension of that would be, you cannot design for everything. I yes. Yeah. Okay, so that that's a very grand and broad statement. So let me kind of flesh it out a bit. Like, okay, so if you're doing tactical combat, then, (laughs) then like every move you put into that system kind of is candy that kind of baits you into adding more moves. So like there's a phenomenon where crunch begets crunch and it's real easy to get buried in it. Yeah. 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 hundred percent true. I mean, I mean, you, if you, you don't need any more examples of that than, than Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder, where it's just, there's are a lot su- and it keeps suggesting- coming. Are you suggesting I can't swim in my vault of gold? Um, I'm, sw- yes. I'm suggesting you should not design separate rules for swimming in water, um, molasses, lava. gold, lava. Yeah. It, like, splitting a sea of hairs, butts. A sea of butts. Like, but the buoyancy coefficients. <laughs> once you start splitting hairs like that, it snowballs. Yes, yeah, especially, especially butt hairs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, unless you're uh, cognizant of how to keep yourself in check so yeah. that you don't end up with three, diff- three dozen different swimming rules when you really you only need one. 
meat. Or, or in the case of this example, like if you're making a Scrooge McDuck RPG, you know, you could probably include like rules for swimming in gold. But other than that, you know, no, no, not no. even. Then, I don't think. No, why? <laughs> <laughs> like, do you ever need to know exactly how fast you can swim through gold? As a like, well, I ever said it was. In about, some episodes of the cartoons where he has needed to outswim somebody, like, draining his vault. So, yes. Yeah, but, like, even then, why would you have rules for that specific thing? Why would you just not, like, make it about Scrooge, Scrooge's, like, persistence or his, you know, his well, greed? I will I tell you. I don't understand the level of autism we're using here. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Like, yes, I do, and that's why that's why I'm saying no, don't do it. Yeah, I'm I'm just saying that there are not just autistic designers, there are autistic players who will get upset that there isn't a rule for that. Okay, but don't design for them though. <laughs> what if that's your target audience? Like there there are actually games. Stop, that that's your problem. Well. <laughs> there are games that do very well specifically because that's the audience right. they're targeting and they they go Which, all in for that target audience. Well, I'll tell Which you comes if back to my point <laughs> of you cannot design for everything, including every point on the spectrum. Yes. Yeah. And I've just been thinking about this conversation. I think in at least from my perspective, it's um it's what is very hard to design for or what is not worth designing for. Um it's just because I, I don't That's want Well, I don't know if it is. <laughs> like, you can't design for everything. It's like, are you sure I can't design for any, everything? Well, it's not worth it to try to design for everything. I think because if you try to design for everything, you'll end up with an infinite page count. Yeah, and your your game can't be everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're, you're, you're correct, but at the same time, I, I think that that um, isn't a necessary uh like distinction to make is that fair enough yeah Uh, yeah i get what you're saying but um uh, only because (laughs) i've seen people try and do the latter i haven't yet i don't know that i've seen a game yet that like has tried to design around griefing and no buy-in i don't know that i've seen that i just think it's something you probably can't design for and so don't try, but like I think I've seen games where people tried to include everything. Yeah. Yes, uh, I mean, and, 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 oh, it's terrible. I mean, they they, they have they have mm-hmm. hats that turn you into racial stereotypes. But there it is. Yeah. So just to go back to swimming in gold. If it was my game, <laughs> another racial stereotype of ducks. <laughs> if it was my game. You would just say, that's my resource. I can swim in gold. And you would just do it. And you would get mm-hmm. a bonus for it. So that's how you swim in gold. That's yeah. how you figure out how to handle rules for gold swimming. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in my <laughs> game, it would be part of the approach. Like, you have a trait that, like, makes you, like, you're so wealthy, you swim in gold. And then you're, you're better at, at, you know, forcefully swimming towards your goal. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, okay. So... I can lie, my train of thought. I, I, I don't think about not being able to design for something, and maybe that's folly. But I often I approach things of how do I design for this if it comes up in my need 
uh, as I go through a game. Yeah, this uh, to answer that actually in a very direct way, this is uh, basically um, I think the a major part of this conversation is figure, is telling people when they're reaching that point of falling, like when they're uh, finding the circle that they can't escape. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So bring it up regardless. Yeah. It's not, it's like for you, you design, you figure out what you're trying to design for. Like what you said, like this is a conversation to try to tell people, Hey, uh, when I hit where, if they hit a point where they're trying to design for it, maybe they should stop because it's not going to work. (laughs) Well, perfect. Then I think we're really on track with this conversation then. Oh, then we should also include heterogeneous dice pools. I don't know what that means. Uh, Dice pools of multiple die types. So you're rolling a dice pool of D6s, D8s, D12s. Hmm. Unless you have a degree in advanced statistics, don't even try it. I would would say even if you have... I, I would say if you have the degree in advanced statistics, you should be embarrassed that you're trying it. Yeah, a degree in advanced statistics would make you aware that you should not be trying it. <laughs> it depends with which what groups of numbers are important of, of the roles. Yeah, I mean, technically, well, Savage Worlds has a heterogeneous dice pool, but it's only two dice. Right. Yeah. But if, say, for example, you have well, a bag of dice and someone just mm-hmm. said, grab the first three dice that touch your hand, um, add two more from the bag that... Um, and it didn't matter. And you were only adding up the numbers as opposed to like counting successes. It, it would be a ridiculous system, but it would be hard. So hard um, to figure out what the right numbers are for passes and fails and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It would just be hard it to count them be off. Hard. It wouldn't be hard. The thing, the thing about it that makes it a don't is that you have to do it again for every combination of dice. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I ha- grabbing I have- the dice could be part of the luck of the mm-hmm. yeah, as much part thinking. of luck as rolling the dice. Yeah, that yes. could be interesting. Hmm. Hmm. We'll say that mm-hmm. I don't think that's actually a particularly great way to design a game, but okay. Mm, you could do yeah. it. You could do. It. No, there's a. Okay, I'm just gonna that. back up. I'm, th- <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try. I'm stuck on it. If I was, okay, I'd say, grab, you know, six dice, or everyone hands you a die or something, some way to randomize the dice you pull, just roll them and pick the highest one. Like, that's how I would do it. Yeah, the problem is you can feel, like, what platonic solid is, though. Yeah, like, you need, that's why you need a, yeah. a different way to get them, yeah. but, but you're right, yeah. feeling it is the big default. So since we're here, fun fact, the average roll on any die is the number of sides divided by two plus a half. Yes. Assuming, of course, that each side is, you know, one full number and there are no duplicates. Well, we live in the real world where things like pie-sided dice don't exist. No, but there are, there are, no, there no, are that, dice that uh, don't have uh, consecutive integers on them. Yeah, yeah. not every die is going to have like the same thing. Like You can have a die with three sides that are all six and three sides that are all two. Yeah. 
or the fantasy flight dice for 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 people that are actually playing role playing games. Like, you know, those don't have, those have symbols on them. And yeah, or fate dice. Yeah, or fate. Well, fate dice you can model. It's much easier to model mathematically as opposed to like the Star Wars dice, which are are which are a heterogeneous dice pool, and have four separate symbols on them. Yes, and or five even really. then. And then, even yeah. then, you can map the symbols to one through six or one through n, and you still figure out the average. Maybe yeah, like, map. that that would be weird because those symbols aren't are the reason they use the symbols is because they're not supposed to be mapped to numbers. But uh, anyway, um, we're kind of getting into the weeds again. Um, Shocking. <laughs> we tend to do that. Um, so. One of the things I was thinking of when I was thinking about things we can't design for, and I'm not certain that everyone's going to agree with me on this, is that we cannot design for bad role players. Now, I'm not talking about the stuff that Rob brought up of people who are just assholes. Um, I'm talking about the stuff where people come and they don't know how to play their character or they don't know how to stay in character, um, you know, or they do metagaming and stuff like that. Um, And I don't think we can really design for that. I mean, there's ways to incentivize that. There's ways to try to teach them in the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to say that's kind of an issue because I'm putting a lot of effort into trying to do that. But I don't think mm-hmm. it, some of it's design, but a lot of it is more Just education. As you were saying. Yeah. yeah, it's like mm-hmm. more of it's advice and educating people on like what's possible and various tips and tricks that they can try using and then the design basically is built so that they can work those things into stuff easier like i don't know if you can actually design it from the ground up where if somebody doesn't know anything that you can have a game that's just designed that they will magically just happen to play it the way that you want them to. Yeah. That comes from good player guidance. And it should be said that because I don't know that I fully agree with how Fred phrased that, but it is definitely possible to design a game that leaves role-playing off the table. I think yes. I think I and correct me if I'm wrong, Fred. When you said role playing, it was more about role playing game skills, like not just the act of role playing, but also understanding character sheets and dice rolls and when to roll and stuff like that. Um, or, no, I, I, I mean that is that is another topic in and of itself. I was talking about more about the the individual um, skill of role playing. Okay. And, and again, as I said, I, I may be wrong and maybe people won't. But that was one of the things that came up in my mind. I don't know if we can design for this. No, I, design, I, I, I think I agree that you can't design around bad role-playing, but you can design role-playing in. In such a way that it fosters quality role-playing. Yeah. Or an attempt to role-play. The problem is, is you can't design for players who don't read the book either. And so they don't get what you're putting. I mean, they're not trying to pick up what you're putting down. Like, I mean, that, and that's, 
that's something that actually happens a lot. You know, yeah, actually, like, Rob, when you said can't design for people who don't read the book, I was thinking, yeah, that, I never, that never occurred to me, but it is a thing that exists. And it is yeah. definitely true. Yeah, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to... I'm trying to because I've seen I've seen this a lot, like where we we you know my great my game group would sit down and like probably at least half the table had never picked up the rule book, right? And and never would. You know, they would yes. they would they're just there to they're they're there to experience the social part and the game part is secondary. I mean they want to do the thing they want to do in the game, but they look to others in a group to help them out to like figure out like what their skills should be or what powers they should take or anything like that. They don't, they never consult the book. Um, and can't good. The only reasonable assumption you can make as a designer is that one person at the table has firsthand knowledge of the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. But sometimes that doesn't even happen. (laughs) yeah that is actually a thing but yeah you can you can at least put summers in the book that like or even early on in it that you know if if you're reading this note that a lot of the players at the table probably haven't try to help them out because Mm -hmm. it'll make your life a lot easier as well yeah, I actually think I think I think the Powered by the Apocalypse playbooks are actually an attempt at designing towards that, so that the players they don't are. actually have to. Yeah, they you just sit down, you hand them a play playbook, and you go like, "Here you go, that's it." Well, that was your that was part of the intent of your sheets, also, Rob. I yeah, mean, exactly, almost yeah. everyone now who looks at sheets thinks mm-hmm. of it that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely where I'm going with the game, and and even the. The opening of the game, like just taking through taking you through character creation narratively, like in, rather than doing a character creation process like you do in many RPGs, where you go through the book and pick your options and blah blah blah. And rather than doing that, having like an organic process, and Mark is doing that too in Praxis Arcana. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I think for our games, we can kind of make it work, but it's definitely not something you can apply. Like for Cat's game, it wouldn't work. Like to have a character that you discover during play because her game is about like something you did beforehand that you're trying to rectify and without knowing what that thing was there's no like the end goal is muddy like immediately and so like for some games that that kind of that kind of like building the character through the opening narrative like is just not gonna function um you can you can build part of the character through my game through the opening but not all of it like right you have to have some sort of a foundation to like you can't change over time if you don't have something to change from right right like your game is is about whereas mark's game is about like discovering the self and the world through play you know that's like but they, they're different takes on on discovering the self because that's also what Catrice's yeah. game is about yeah right? yeah like, yeah yeah it's so, a different way though it's like finding something that you didn't know to begin with or finding something that you had lost or you didn't understand there is yeah, a difference rediscovering something or uh looking at something with an, in a new light mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, but what yeah but my point was like there's no uh design uh no i actually don't remember what my point was never mind <laughs> <laughs> oh maybe you need to rediscover it i need to rediscover it 
Um, no, I was, I, I had opened up my book for a second cause I was trying to remember something. Okay. And I, then I started reading a paragraph and I totally lost where it was. Um, doesn't matter. Keep going. It was, uh, yeah. I think it's, it was interesting. The comment about uh, role-playing, uh, not being able to design for bad or inability to role-play. That might be true, but the good thing about role-playing is it's, it's a learned skill, so it doesn't mean that, you know, that person can never play your game mm-hmm. or play mm-hmm. your you game well. Yeah. And Actually, role some people are... means Role-playing means something a little bit different for every game. Yeah. So it's kind of... Um, a duty of each game's designer to express what that is for that game. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, you know, explain what you expect of the players to like represent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's a significant portion of the theme and the tone and the the overall experience. And mm-hmm. the kinds of stories that are going to be told are kind of built off of the kind of role playing that's ex- that the game expects. I do still think, though, that it is reasonable to design things in such a way so that it's easier to role play and so that you're able to get into positions where you can role play more often. Uh, things like adding plot hooks into the character design, things mm-hmm. like setting up uh, just how you have a conversation so that it walks people through a conversation naturally in case they're not used to doing that kind of thing. If you're going to have like a mini game where you're supposed to extract information out of a prisoner, most people hopefully have not, you know, studied how to torture people. Why not? Oh, well, I don't know. Most people find that weird. I mean, I read like a bunch on it because I thought it was really interesting, but most people have not. (laughs) And until that time, I realized that, wow, I have been going about this all entirely wrong. The methods that we usually try to use in, you know, torture information out of the prisoner. It's like, just make the paladin leave the room for a moment. It's like, yeah, that's not actually very effective, but mm-hmm. you could actually walk people through the process if it's a big part of the game. Like, hmm. torture aside, like if there's supposed to be an interrogation, most players have some idea what that should look like, mm-hmm. at least in like a Hollywood sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how like, they're they actually- their own they bring their own cultural knowledge to the table that can be applied to the fictional situations. Yes. And if you design the game to match those fictional, um, just kind of tropes or whatever that they already know, like, you know how you have like, you know, the, the dim, uh, flickering light that's just hanging overhead and person's like tied to a chair kind of thing. Like, that kind of concept, if you have that kind of concept already in mind, you make sure to design your game so that you can actually do that within the game's mechanics. Then that helps 
uh, with the role play quite a lot because you're actively making the game's mechanics match what people want to do in the setting. I think that is something that you actually can design for. Um, yeah, I mean, you are designing mechanics to support the kind of stories you want to tell. Yes. Yes. But yes. Does... However, there are certain situations that players can't know about. Like, I don't know, how to, like, fix a warp drive, for example. A lot of sci-fi things are just not knowable by players, so the game has to abstract them mm -hmm. in such a way that the players can comprehend what's happening. I mean, the same is also true of most magic systems. Yeah. I mean, if the, yeah. if the wizard, if being a wizard involves any type of technical knowledge, then it is, then the game should be abstracting it to some level because, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, or you're probably playing a game that, that Cavoir and I wrote together somehow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd actually want to write that game. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to say, way. speak for yourself, Earthling. My PhD is in magical warp drive engineering. <laughs> I think I think magical drives are all warp drives by definition. They all warp something, right? No warp warp drives were based in actual physics. No, I know. I, I've read about it. Yeah, the Alkaveri White Drive. Magical. You actually yeah. need a a, uh, a what do they have? You have to start with a conversion, a mass energy conversion of mass the size of one of Jupiter's moons. I think is what. What they got the math down to? Anyway, that doesn't matter. Yeah, it's not uh, about warp drive. Supposedly, should have it. It's within reason to do if there's such a thing as, you know, particles with a negative energy. And according to the most recent batch of thoughts on what dark matter is, that might actually be true. They're not sure yet, though. But that might actually well, be a thing. Interesting to find out. Yes, My but... point was that, that your game design doesn't have to go into detail about how the warp engines are wired and how what slot A's go into tab B's and whatnot. It just has to address fixing the warp drive. Yes. Yeah, I mean, your your game should not even need to know very much of the logistics of how a car works. <laughs> like So... Uh, I just want to throw this in. I don't know how to if there's a name for what I'm about to say, but so for example, a way to help people role play who don't role play, um, the GM uh, or the game could ask questions like, um, "You're a magical warp drive engineer. Uh, you've you've been trained for so many years. You've been working on this ship for this long. Now you have this warp drive that you have to fix, and you've Give just it a got good kick." You've just gotten off a 24-hour shift, but your replacement is in the emergency sick bay with some sort of space flu, and they're not going to work on it. So you're going to work on this tired. How long is it going to take you to fix this warp drive? And that's a way of giving some character agency, um, giving them some... Uh, role-playing, but giving a lot of the story to them in advance. 
Of course, you know, the real answer is you tell the captain it'll take nine hours, then you take an eight-hour rest. <laughs> and then you in one hour. That's right. <laughs> I, I thought it was, you tell the captain it's going to be nine hours. He says, we got to do it in one hour. Like, ah, fuck. <laughs> so you take yeah, a 15 minute power nap and we do it 45 minutes. And then you break out the, uh, the duct tape. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the type of question that gives them, it only gives them like a small answer, mm-hmm. but they have this, they have created something. And then you could add on to that. Uh, and by saying, when they say, oh, it takes me like two hours, then you could ask, oh, how are you able to get it done so fast or something like that? Right. Like you can, you can help them play into their role playing. Um, There's one thing to keep in mind. There is that there are definitely different types of players and some players will absolutely love that. Some players that is anathema too. Like they will be digging through the books, trying to find like a chart that tells them that amount because they don't like making it themselves. They're like, this is information that should be written down. So sure. again, it comes down to understand your audience because if your audience is the kind that wants everything written down, yeah, they, they want it written down. Yeah. Yeah. But where it was sort of more towards the direct comment or like the, the quote bad role player. Well, that goes back to my point about not being able to design for everything like and the way you can get around that necessity is to craft the rules in such a way that they're interpretable and broadly applicable yeah so you don't need to write out like a one sentence rule for you know how much longer does it take someone to fix the warp drive when they've just come off a 24-hour shift and they're tired. You you just have some blanket rule where it says, you know, people who are not primed for a task take X amount of time longer to do it. Hmm. I guess, yeah. Whether that's tiredness or not equipped or whatever the scenario is you can you can abstract that rule out to you're not prepared or not un- ideally capable of doing it at that time right you know the first Here's thing the modifier thing that comes to mind is like well captain um since i haven't gotten my massage this day how about I get this done for you in four hours. However, if you come down here, <laughs> I, I get a massage. That would yes. how, how where we get how we get here. That's that's how what you happened? get properly primed for it. You have to be relaxed to be able to work mm-hmm. like this, right? And I guess I I would go back and and just to jump back in here and say, is this a rollable task? In so much that we can just say, well this is a skill check and you need to roll for it or is this a role-playing moment and in in one case you could approach it one way and in the other you could approach it the other like it really doesn't matter if it's a like a rollable task where you're like it's this task plus this modifier roll it uh as opposed to 
creating some narrative for one reason or another. Um. Hmm. No, I do, it doesn't matter. I think I think it's best when it does when you can take whatever fictional input's been given to you by the established story thus far and then put that into the mechanism somehow. Um, I mean, like the way I do it is like anything that, that is an obstacle or a factor in you overcoming a goal adds to the threshold. And so in that case is like, you know, if it, if Ashes was, was a sci-fi game and they wanted to fix a warp drive and like you're tired, that's just another piece of the threshold. So now it's a factor. And then like how broken it's like, it's really broken. It's like, okay, that's a factor. And then um, you don't have the right tool. What's another factor. And then, so now you're rolling against, you know, a three. It was, you were rolling before, like just to fix a warp engine, like starts at zero, but then you start adding all these factors into into the task and and there's no upper limit to that you can attempt something as hard as you can possibly imagine um you know with all the odds against you and still there's still a finite chance in the game of actual success somewhere down there um but it but but that's only because like it's a high level abstraction like like you were saying car like you can just have bad thing whatever that looks like and it, that goes into this bucket and now now you have designed for everything because it's broad and encompassing. And you can have, yeah. I mean, D&D did it with, with advantage and disadvantage, right? So like they just have like, here's bad thing. It gives you disadvantage. Roll two dice, take the worst. Here's good thing. Roll two dice, take the best. And then like that it eliminated like, you know, most of the modifiers in the game. Like It eliminated of most of the game. Well, that's another argument for it. But like <laughs> what I'm saying, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that's, okay. you know, Design that particular mechanic that particular mechanic aside like the reality is that role playing games don't work if the rules cannot be adjudicated mhm okay they like they have to be somewhat abstract in order to apply to a wider variety of applications well yeah, but that's a given because you're not doing physics every time you take an action. Exactly. Yeah. Like okay. you're not contem you're not doing like inverse kinematics of your arm as your as your sword goes to land the blow or whatever. Mm -hmm. You're just making an attack. Right. <clears throat> and okay, so what was our disagreement again? The same principle applies to pretty much everything like the rules need to be malleable if they become rigid and brittle they stop working yeah okay sure mm. i yeah, think there are times brutal. that you actually do need relatively rigid rules for small areas like there are certain things that there probably should be some fairly firmly entrenched stuff, but it not for large, broad scale concepts generally. Yeah, very small rules can be brittle because they can sustain that. That well, they don't have a large load on them. Yeah, they don't. They're not handled that right. much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Anything else we can't design for? Um, we can't design. Usually, we can't design unless you're putting one in specifically, like Bluebeard's Bride. You cannot design for the narrative. Uh, what do you mean by that? Like, like if like, it's an open oh, setting, I think he means like if it's a broad open setting, there's there's no specific narrative attached to the game. You can't really have rules for specific narratives if you don't have any specific narratives built in. Yeah, that's why that's why there's a long history of game modules. Like you don't you don't put keep on the borderlands in the core books. It doesn't belong there. Because it's not part of the system, it's a scenario. That's that's an imp, that's a usage of the system, right? As opposed to something like the, like you mentioned, Bluebeard's Bride, which has an ending like in the book, like this is how the game ends. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like, cut to the chase. Like, cut to the chase has an ending. Yeah, that has a narrative yes. like skeleton that you then you know mold, put the clay on and mold it, and then like put some game like you know. I would say probably most RPGs fifteen don't have narratives that at this count. What's that? <laughs> fifteen narratives at this count. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifteen narratives. Here we go. <laughs> um, plus well, infinity. Yeah, plus infinity. But like the the structure is for UAA. It's just the the setting and dressing on it affects affects what the game is quite a bit, and what yeah. happens in it affects the yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it has a narrative structure already. Like, we know that there's going to be a... Um, most likely there will be... E- well, there either, either the prey gets away or there's going to be a confrontation. Yeah. Right? So if we're playing D&D, there might or might not be chase. We don't know. If we're playing Breath right. of the Chase, we absolutely know that there's going to be a chase. And then yeah. if we're playing Bluebeard's Bride, we absolutely know even more than we would in, for Cut to the Chase. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. And even, uh, and even still... Cut to the chase itself does not contain Captain Mor- Captain Morgan in the moon base or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> unless it kickstarts. <laughs> it <does contain. laughs> um, yeah. But no, that's that's a good point. Like we can't design. Like you know, if you're designing, if you're if you're making, uh, uh. A fantasy game like Dungeons and Dragons, a generic fantasy game, then yeah, you can't you can't design for the narrative because Okay, so that's interesting. We can't we don't know what the story is gonna be. Yep. Um we can design for narrative possibility, but well and is the and is there something and, specific we should be taking care of in a general sense? Or like I'm just curious about people's thoughts on that. In the general design, sense of the narrative? Like should we do you can design specific parts that may appear in the narrative, like knights or thieves or wizards or whatnot. Those are very mechanical concepts, but you can't design the party of PCs lays siege to the evil wizard's tower. What's the rest of the question, Jonathan? Just in case there was more to it. Uh, it, it was something like that, but it was like, I guess... We can't design for that narrative. Um, is there things that we should be 
or can design for to avoid certain narratives that would be problematic? Or do we even bother? Problematic uh, in the sense of like, you know, burning witches at the stake or something like that. Why is that problematic? Or more overt racism then? Because burning witches at the stake in society that exists now is oh. not about it's not about evil it's just about i was also going to say what kind of overt racism because Dungeons and dragons has like very full-on overt racism yeah like here here's the dark elves they're bad yeah <laughs> they have dark yeah. skin it's like yeah okay well cool. yeah anyway i don't i don't know should we be i i'm just you know do we um, i don't know I think to an extent we do. I mean, like, so I have, there are elements of the narrative that I have designed in, but it's because I'm, I have this sort of legacy system where like the the rules, I I know that there are certain narrative elements that are going to happen, but I don't know when, where, who triggers them, anything like that it's like but then you can you can take that metaphor and extend it down to the actions like i know people are going to be doing things in combat but i don't know who or what but i know they're going to be taking one of these six actions um so there's like a little piece of narrative that's getting designed um you, you can know the pieces you just can't know in what order they happen or by right whom. yeah 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 even in bluebeard's bride you don't know exactly who does what that's the fun of the game yeah Mm -hmm. because it's a game it's not a book it's not right prescribed or an engine rather (laughs) yeah yeah okay so what else can't we design for what's our list so far i've got asshole players bad gms like so, I'm gonna go with griefing, right? We 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 agreed on that, right? You can't design out griefing. Yes. You can't can't design out lack of buy-in. People who just don't want to be there. Yes. Stuff that you don't know about. Yes. Um, I guess we kind of mostly dismissed. Um, can't teach role playing. Hmm. Can't design around um inexperienced role players to a certain extent. As a corollary to can't teach role playing, we can't design around can't learn role playing. Can't design around can't learn. Yeah, if people have an inability to learn how to do it, sure. And yeah. just to sort of be on that, that some games are better suited for role players of different experience levels. Yes. yes. And there so, are some games that are better suited to different styles, but uh, uh, yes. Okay. All right. What else? Griefing, lack of buy-in, stuff you can't know or don't know. Uh, uh, not your audience. Not your audience. Okay. Um, I guess since we're at a pause, uh, to some extent, individual players we touched on um, because we don't, we can't know. It, Oh, individual player relationships, yeah. Yeah, and and, and the exact individuals. Uh, we probably uh, we can influence party composition, but we will never know. But if your game has multiple possible parties, you will never know all of them. And well, 
you'll know all of them, but you, it, it's not useful, I guess, is more accurate to say to design for every possible, to have scenarios in mind for every possible group that could, from a configuration of 12 different options, forget X different options. Mm. But yeah. yeah, if if you're going to have, like, the main thing you can really only target is your optimal party, as it were, and some some range of suboptimal around that. We also have to understand that we can't know those numbers even. Like, we just don't know. That, that goes back to Kat's point about, like, not being able to, like, control, like, the internet. Yeah, actually, I, I just realized yeah. I, this is under don't know. Like, there are things we can't know, and we can't design for things we can't know. That covers a there, whole lot of There are ways to deal with that, though. Yes. There, there, are. Are, there are definitely ways to deal with that, because, like, if you look at, like, a, an asymmetric game, like, um, say, StarCraft for example. It is very, very, very highly refined. There are a lot of options, and even though you might have only three races you can play as, each of those it has many different ways of being played, and they are balanced for each other. It just takes like a lot of time and effort to do so. Like It is not easy. Like That's a huge amount of effort to be able to, to to prepare for something like that unless you take shortcuts like if you make a game so that you have four classes it is a four player game everybody has to pick one of these four classes you cannot have overlap i've seen games like that sure like you can totally control it in that way it's not the best way to do it but you can do it you can standardize your classes mathematically so that each class has like a very specific set of things to do. You can have three or four different types of healers, but they all do about the same amount of healing over time. So again, that's something you can yeah. kind of work around, but if you make the more choices you give people, the more the less control you have over it. Which is what Kavar was getting at, I think. Yes, and yeah, I was actually talking <laughs> about normal class systems, but that's a uh, whole other thing. Like, but yeah, I guess Katrice mostly kept what I was saying. Talking about another thing, I feel like we can't design for that is that doesn't cleanly fit into one of the categories we have pre-established. Is oh god, where was that? Uh, we cannot design for. Worshipping the god, dark gods at the table? I'm pretty sure you can. Uh, actually, my game book does have a section on how to properly use the book to make a sacrifice to Yogg-Sothoth. Good. Yep. Trace, I don't think that's what he's talking about, but good job. <laughs> yeah, no. I know, but he was thinking for a moment. I wanted to fill dead air, give him some time to think. <laughs> good. Yeah, good point. Uh, technically speaking, my game comes the closest to designing for that. Yeah. Well, no, but uh, we can't uh, we can't design for well actually we can to some extent and I talked about this before briefly but it's not important but um, we can't design for the house rules that will be made 
Yeah, I was just going to say hacking. Yes, mm-hmm. we, can, yeah. we, we can design for hacking in that we can give them advice on how to do it well, and that's about the best we can do. We could never know which things they decide to change. We could never know when they decide to do it. Entirely true. I, I, I will it's actually put true. a caveat on that. 100% true. No, I will put a yes. caveat on that, in that for the second version of your game, you can look at like what the first version was, like what people tended to ignore or house rule on a regular basis. Like, yes, the example encumbrance is a really common one that almost everybody who plays D anD D they almost universally uh, ignore the system entirely. Like it, it's almost completely. It's like ninety percent plus of the players do not use the system at all. Fun fact: so the one time, I, the one time I played Pathfinder, my G, my GM did not actually ignore encumbrance, and I was, but Oof. yeah, um, there's a lot of reasons why I didn't like that game. Anyway, um, <laughs> that might be one of them. Yeah, but no. yeah. The thing is, like, you you learn, you can check to see what the players do house rule on a regular basis. Uh, not even just for your game, but for other games. Like, if you look yeah. at other games and say, okay, mm-hmm. people do not seem to like having to keep track of their inventory, usually. Maybe yeah, inventory but, management is something that people are going to hack on a regular basis. Yeah, but Kat, that's just design, though. Yeah, we can interpret data, but we can't know. At, at the point that we do release into the wild, we can't know yeah. what's happening. Oh, you can't know that. the specific details, no. Like, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that it's not 100% impossible to predict to some degree. But that's just designing your game, though. Like, you're looking at other games and what people didn't like and then trying to pick. That's just... Yeah, Yeah, if if you say you have absolutely zero predictive capability of what they're going to hack or what people... I mean, I'm not talking about being able to roll a die, though. I'm just saying you can't you just don't know like saying you have a chance of guessing right is different than saying oh oh yeah in any particular hold on yeah well okay i'll I'll say this that uh like regardless of considering other games and how they get played your game up until the moment you publish it is entirely theoretical like maybe yeah you've you've done playtesting, but that's really, no matter how much playtesting you've done, that's a comparatively small amount of data, you know, in compared to what you'd need to assess how players overall actually use it. So like a better example than encumbrance was rolling stats in D&D. Because originally, they were, you rolled them 3d6 in order, and you got what you got, and it basically became rolling for class by proxy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that that was one of the first, that caused one of the first instances of players asserting agency because they realized the simple change of rolling your stats and put, putting them in the order you want meant you could choose your class. Oh my god. I don't know. That might be too much freedom for these gamers. 
<laughs> so, so by the time AD&D came around, Gygax had learned that players were ignoring the roll in, the roll in order rule, so he relaxed it a little bit in, in AD&D. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it got further and further relaxed as the editions went on. To the point where why I said for your second edition. Right, so yeah, you can if you can manage to gather some data about how your game is played post-release, then you can adapt it in later editions. And hopefully you won't just be fixing errors like D&D 3.5 did. Yeah, hopefully. Um, and, okay, uh, what was I going to say? I'm sorry that I'm the one who started the D&D tangent this time. <laughs> I really <laughs> Oh yeah! Hey. <laughs> uh, well, this that, time it was actually useful and not just a rant. Yeah, that's a good point. Other than, other than that, um, the another thing that I think that we should touch on not being able to design for is, oh no, that's too say more. I was going to say how people interpret your rules and order them, basically, but that's. Kind of house rule adjacent. Um, it is something that you kind of can. Yes, things you can do to a degree. Yeah, it's you can try to if you can influence them, and yeah, that's fine. And I don't know why is it was putting this under net design for. Anyway, there are, there are definitely some, like just for a small tangent to say that yes, you kind of can design for them. Like try to standardize the phrasing of things. Like if. Every time you describe a rule, you describe it a different way. It's going to get confusing if you basically go through and methodically copy-paste the rule every single time in the same phrasing the same way every time so that it's consistent. And you're very cautious about how you phrase things. You can generally yep. limit the misinterpretations. Limit. You won't yeah. completely limit. remove them, but you can limit it. Another way to limit in, limit errant interpretation is to just write well. Like, yeah, badly, that's hard. Badly, <laughs> badly interpretable rules are usually caused by either bad writing or not having a solid command of the concepts you're trying to express anyway. But I'm bad at that. <laughs> yeah, we know. Um... <laughs> Damn it. It's supposed to be a reference, and you're not supposed to be with me. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, sorry, I didn't get your nerd reference. That's uh, okay, it was a stupid reference anyway. Nerd. God. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, what else can I design for? Um, nope, drawing a blank. Before it sounded like you had another one. Did Kevlar have something else? Oh god, I thought I did. I forgot what it was though. It uh shoot. But it just I it would fall the now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure whatever it was, it would fall into either the category of we don't uh we can't design around the individuals of the table or we can't design around things we don't know. So it's fine. Uh, yeah. Okay, something think... something similar to what I was saying about you can't design for the narrative is you cannot des- you cannot design for the play environment. 
Mm, like the actual house? Yeah, table. whether it's a living room or a dorm common room or at a convention or just a random pickup game in a hallway. Right you can't. Turned out my brother used to do like a lot of indie actually in a London pub. Like there's food, there's drink, there's room for game. Yeah, it made perfect sense. Yeah. Or in a Denny's. Denny's, yeah, I've done Denny's. That. I've played yeah. A lot of people have played at Denny's. But you can't rely on any particular play environment. No. Oh, God, unless you're de- designing like a con game specifically for a con. But that's it. Like yeah, yeah. There, there are certain exceptions for you can't design for the environment, but the norm yeah. is that you can't. I mean, I will say that I think that the perfect environment for playing Vampire the Masquerade is 3 a.m. at a Denny's. I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've done that I, with the person I mean, I'm currently married to. <clears throat> uh, and she married you? Yeah, I know, right? Well, they I were mean, both that there. sounds like bonus points for me. That would have been like an increased likelihood. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were both there. It's not like she was yeah. the waitress scoffing at this tomfoolery happening at, happening at her table. No. It's been there for eight hours. Well, he never specified that. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> that, sound, that sounds like an almost perfect date. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, there Except has to be a few other vampire. people there. Yeah. <laughs> Except for playing vampire. Yeah, I would agree with you now, yeah. Uh, okay. So, no, no objections, really. <laughs> but, like, it, it, is, it is kind of cool, like, to, to, like, to, like, play L.A. by night and then, like, actually be in Los Angeles at 2 a.m. and, like, there's the environment of the city around you. At Denny's, yeah. Like, Are, is that where the vampires meet? In Denny's? <laughs> yeah, in our game, yeah, it was because. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, please tell me that's not true. Yeah, sure. Well, you I can't mean, get more you know, immersive than that. Can't get more immersive than that. And hey, we were like seventeen. We thought it'd be cool. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, if, for those of who, you who don't know exactly what I'm referring to, the three a.m. is because you were doing something before that, and there was no point in going home. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because. You don't, I, for people who don't know what Denny's is, um, I can explain it this way. You don't go to Denny's. You end up at Denny's. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that's a good, yep. That's right. You, okay. Yes. We do not have any of those around here, so thank you for the explanation. <laughs> You're welcome. I will actually say, uh, for an example of something that Kara's mentioned that there are some things about the environment you can predict and design for. Uh, one of the main ones you can generally design around is the assumption that you will be able to talk and be heard. This is not always the case, like, but the vast majority of uh, games do take that as an assumption. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's an interesting thing to that, that's probably another discussion about like accessibility and disability, but uh, yeah, we already talked about like, yeah, can Did we, we record that accessibility episode or was that just a? Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure we did. did. I think we did. It's I... a bonus episode. Uh, I think it's bonus episode two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes. I did. Yep. Well, um, so, you but you can't necessarily design around 
being able to talk, but you have you have to make the assumption that the players are communicating somehow because role playing games are driven by conversation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Play but every other game format. There's play, yeah. There's play by post. There's play by you know forum RPGs. Uh, you don't. Yeah. You don't have to necessarily be able to talk. I I, I can see that, but like. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you, you can't design around not communicating with each other, like unless it's a solo game, I guess. Yeah. Even then, the communication is your internal monologue, and you can't avoid that. Yeah, but you can't avoid that <laughs> at, no matter what. Well, unless you're doing mindfulness meditation, then you avoid it, but but only temporarily. I can drown it out. With uh... what? Yeah. With more internal with, monologues? That's but that's not, not yeah, with that the word. other voices, that's something I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, but okay. you can drown out one of the voices in favor of others in the choir. Okay. <laughs> I, okay, um anyway, does anyone else have anything we can't design for um that we haven't already discussed? Um, our list so far is griefing, lack of buy-in, stuff you can't know, not your audience. Individual player relationships, specific narratives, uh, for everything rather like enumerating everything can't enumerate. Yes, can't design for uh, specific house rules people are going to include in the current edition of your game. Uh, uh, environment, like environment, specific, yeah. physical environment, probably. Um. Uh, yeah. Okay, if no one else has anything more, um, does anyone else have any comments that they wanted to share on something we already talked about that they missed? I guess in summation, this episode boils down to you can only design for what you can anticipate. Mm. Yeah, lack of the organization would be the last one I can think of. Like if the players, GM or whatever, aren't organized like... Oh I yeah, we to the game. I lost my character sheet. There's only so much you can do with that. Right. Can't anticipate that though. I, I think that's a that is yeah. a like you can't yeah. design you can't anticipate. Yeah. Yeah, I think pretty much everything comes down to that. If you can't anticipate it, there you go. That's basically it. Yeah. So just so when you're the, the entire episode has been an enumeration of things that cannot be anticipated. Yep. Guess so. Well, we got there, though. Yep. Yeah. Did it. We talked yep. about Denny's. It was great. Yeah. So, one last thing. Uh, way back, another callback to earlier in the episode. Yeah, support John's Kickstarter. It's good. Hell um, yeah. Chuckle Chase deserves art, and it definitely does. And the scenarios are cool. Yes. Thank you. I think it's yes. good. The, yeah, the game would be worth it in and of itself, but with the scenarios and art and all the shit, man, that's a yeah. that's a. It's good stuff. I would I would buy that for more than a dollar. <laughs> Several dollars. I, I, I have bought it for more than a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I have already purchased this game for more than a dollar, and I'll probably be bagging it again. So, <laughs> hey. Um. Anyway, uh, that's a that is an episode. Um. So I hope you all listening, ha- or hope the one of you listening has a good night. And that you have, you learn something from this episode and go and design good games and, uh, I don't know, take those silly rules about, like, what to do with your um, significant other when you break up with them and then have to be the 
then they're the GM for you next week. Oh, um, just, take just that rule out of your game. Yeah, uh, just, just don't do it. And um, thank you. Sh- you you probably go home now that you don't have an excuse to be at the Denny's anymore. <laughs> If you are at Denny's right now and listening to this, please tell us about it. Please tell us why you're at Denny's. I want to know. Yeah. Uh, and then tell, tell, tell us what game you're playing. Which edition of Vampire you're playing. And especially if you're sitting at Denny's designing a wiring diagram for a warp drive. If, especially. If, if, if you're doing that. Magical warp drive. Yeah. Also, it's Vampire 3rd Edition, or go fuck your mother. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, in the, current right. situ- in the current environment, maybe, yeah. Actually, it's Vampire 2nd Edition, or go fuck your entire mat- matriarchal line. I mean, it doesn't have the same... That involves grave robbery. It doesn't have the same <laughs> issue to it, though. Like, if vampires can't get pregnant, it doesn't really matter if it's incest nearly as much it's still kind of weird but well then that's a that's a risk that's not in in play anyway for. anyway the uh, things we had I designed mean, for whatever the... might be in play then oh my god yeah, uh, mentioned that really, that's for sure. um yeah. and so, okay thank you from all of us here car cat fred jonathan cavoir and rob hey. thank you for listening have well, a good week uh yeah, don't listen to cat. It's a bad influence. Uh have a good week. Have a good night. Later nerds. <laughs>